Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio. This is our second hour of our topic today, Your Vote Matters. And we are brought to you by azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. So, Dan, tell us a little bit about what you think of our topic, Your Vote Matters. Well, it does matter. I mean, if you think about it, uh, even looking at the Trump versus Clinton and, and uh, Bernie situation, you know, our vote, a lot of people would say, well, I'm not going to vote for Trump because he doesn't do this or doesn't do that. But if you don't vote for Trump, then you're automatically voting for one of the other politicians, right? It's so true. And the, and the problem with that is, I mean, what we really need to think about, most of the people that listen to our show are pro-gun people, right? So if you're pro-gun... There's only one person you can vote for. There is, there, is no, there is no second choice. So not voting for Trump is voting for one of the other two candidates. Well, our very first guest today, Congressman Trent Franks, made that point very, very clear that it, it's that important, and it but is that clear. The judges that Trump has lined up are the, are the only hope to keep our Second Amendment. Absolutely. Well, our next guest uh, coming up in this hour is an author, and he also serves as the National Communications Director for the Tenth Amendment Center, where they seek to teach people about the original meaning of the Constitution, because I think we've drifted so far from uh, the, the literal text of the Constitution. And uh, over at the Tenth Amendment Center, they lead powerful grassroots efforts to use nullification as a means to blocks federal overreach. Michael Meharry, are you with us? I am with you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Thank Yay. goodness. Were you listening to the early part of the show? I just tuned in a minute ago. Okay. Well, we've been having all kinds of sound issues, so I've been uh, kind of patching everybody in through my cell phone because it's like, you know what? We make this work. So <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Anyway, thank you. And I'm so excited that we have you on and I can hear you and uh, you can hear me. And we're we're using this word nullification. Now, that's new to me, and I love words. And so when I, I kept seeing this word coming through on my Facebook page, what, what does that mean? What is the significance of that? Well, nullification is really in the simplest terms. It's what every three-year-old knows how to do, and that's say no. <laughs> <laughs> that's a complete sentence, isn't it? Exactly, no. And, and when we talk about nullification in the political sense, we're talking about any action that is taken by – it can be taken by states. It can be taken by individuals that has the effect of making a given law or action null, void, or simply unenforceable within the borders of a state or, or a given region. So you know, a simple example, the federal government passes some type of crazy gun control uh, there are mechanisms that states can take that will effectively block the effectiveness of those laws and nullify them. Now, I, I think it's important to distinguish real quick. There's there's two different definitions of nullification that you can use. One of them is a legal definition, and that's what a judge does uh, if he nullifies a law by a ruling. 
And then we also have practical nullification, which is basically uh, something in effect. So the law could still be on the books, but it's not in effect. It's not being uh, being enforced. So the 55 mile an hour speed limit is a very good example of a law that has been nullified in effect. You know, it's on the books in a lot of places. Ain't nobody doing it. So when we talk <laughs> about it at the Tenth Amendment Center, generally we're talking about nullification uh, as as an effect. the The legal aspect of it is is interesting on a cerebral level, but what we're really concerned with is reining in overreaching federal authority, and we do that through various state actions. Well, I kind of paraphrase in my own mind that you guys, your slogan could almost be, when in doubt, the Constitution. Well, exactly. This, this is what we use. We say, follow the Constitution, every issue, every time, no exceptions, no excuses. That's the foundation of everything we do at the 10th Amendment Center. I love that, honestly. And I, the thing that, that brought me to you, your, your specific name, because the, the 10th Amendment Center is, is more than um, just the work that, that you, Michael Meharry, do. But you wrote an article called The Right to Keep and Bear Arms is Not a constitutional right. It's a natural right. Now, what is the difference there? Well, I think it's a very important distinction, and I actually wrote the article out of a, a sense of frustration because I hear people talking about this, and they're well-meaning, but they say this all the time, my constitutional right to keep and bear arms. Well, that implies that the fact that somebody wrote it down on a piece of paper makes it your right, and if somebody were to get an eraser and erase it off of that piece of paper, all of a sudden it wouldn't be a right. And I think it's important to understand that our right to keep and bear arms is more fundamental than that. No government gives it to us. It is a natural right, and by a natural right, I mean it's something that is inherent in our existence as a human being. Every human being has a natural right to self-defense, and that's really the more fundamental right we're talking about. The right to defend our own personal property, which is ourselves and our family and, and our things. And this is something that's inherent in being human. Government can't give it to us. Now, government can take it away from us, and that's, uh, that's what governments generally try to do. So we need to understand that no matter what the government says, no matter what any individual says, you have a right to self-defense. You have a right to keep and bear arms. And the Second Amendment actually is something that's designed to restrain government action, not to give you something that you already had. St. George Tucker is one of my favorite uh, constitutional scholars, and he was actually one of the first. He wrote uh, the first systematic uh, commentary on the Constitution right after it was ratified, and he called the right to self-defense the palladium of liberty. And he said this, he said, the right of self-defense is the first law of nature. In most governments, it has been the study of rulers to confine this right within the narrowest limits possible. So that sums it up. We have this right. Government's going to try to restrict us. The Second Amendment is a, is a tool. It's a restriction on government to uh, to stay off, to not infringe on a right that we all already have. So when, when people talk about a constitutional right, I think they're kind of con confusing the issue because take away the Constitution, you still have a right to self-defense. People in China have a right to self-defense. It's just that their government's suppressing that right. You know, that is so important, and I, I love all of the, the, the definitions that you're putting in there and that, you know, we always want to think that the Constitution, the Second Amendment, gave us something. And you're saying that is not the case. It's actually a, a wall put up to prevent the government from taking something away. I mean, that completely changes the, the entire focus and onus of those 27 words, doesn't it? 
Exactly, and I think that's the perfect analogy to use. It's a wall. It's a it's a barrier that's thrown up, and it basically says, federal government, you may not infringe on my right to keep and bear arms. And this is an absolute prohibition. This isn't this isn't you may infringe on my right to keep and bear arms if you decide they're common sense gun laws. I think that's the phrase that people mm-hmm. like to use today. It was common <laughs> sense gun. Well there's there's nothing there's no stipulation in there that says we get to we the government get to decide what is or isn't common sense and then enforce those uh, enforce those restrictions. It's an absolute mm-hmm. prohibition, an absolute prohibition on on infringe and the meaning of infringe is to interfere with. So it's an absolute prohibition on the federal government to infringe or in- interfere with our right to keep and bear arms. And, and you know, people call people call that radical and, you know, I'm being unreasonable, but that, that's the Constitution. I didn't write it. Don't blame me. You know, go after t- James Madison if you want to complain to somebody. But that's that's the, the structure that was put in place. Michael, the problem is that the people that are trying to make common sense gun laws lack common sense. <laughs> that's, that, that's certainly... Uh, the, it's certainly relevant, and, and I think that expands to, to pretty much every area that the uh, the government tries to interfere in our lives, whether it be economic or, or uh, you know, into our personal lives or anything. Uh, it, it's a bunch of control freaks that, quite frankly, don't trust you and I to take care of ourselves, and, and uh, this is one of the fundamental reasons that I'm involved in, in the Tenth Amendment Center. I, I, I don't want the government interfering in my life. I want the freedom and the and the right to take responsibility and suffer the consequences if that if that be necessary. Well, if Hillary Clinton just by chance happens to become the next president of the United States, will they make sure that she can't take an eraser into where the Constitution is? <laughs> Please. Well, I, you know, let's let's be real honest. I think that if if we uh, if we're really honest with ourselves, the the fundamental structure and meaning of the Constitution, we've abandoned that long ago. And, uh, you know, I think an eraser would be a formality. And that's really why we do what we do at the Tenth Amendment Center. I just wrote an article, I don't think it's been published yet, but it was talking about Madison used this term parchment barriers. And, and really, the Constitution is a parchment barrier. It's a piece of paper and it's words. And it means nothing unless we, the people, are willing to put some type of force or enforce uh, those those prohibitions on on government. Government's not, you know, you can't wave the Constitution like a a red flag at a bull and expect the the government to just stop. There has to be an enforcement mechanism, and that's what we're doing at the Tenth Amendment Center. We're working to find ways to use the power of the states, the power uh, that that was originally intended to check the federal government, to actually do that, to push back and to make the federal government go back within the box that it's supposed to live in. And, And so that's very important work. If there's anybody to blame, and we can blame the politicians, and they're certainly culpable, but we are culpable in allowing them to basically get away with ignoring the uh, the restrictions on their power. So it's time for us to say no and take it back. Right, and I do believe that it's it's us, it's the citizens that are letting this go away. If it goes away, we need to have a voice, be strong, and tell our politicians we're not going to accept anything but to stand up for the Constitution. Exactly. That's that's exactly right. And and again, you know. I use this analogy. You know, if, if if you tell me to shut up, 
I'm going to ignore you unless I really sense that there's some way for you to make me shut up. You know, your, right. your word shut up is, is relevant. And, and to say federal government, you can't do this is irrelevant unless we have a way to, uh, to push back. And fortunately, James Madison gave us a blueprint. And he said in Federalist 46, he said when the federal government commits unwarranted acts or even warranted acts that happen to be unpopular, he said there are a number of things that we can do at the state level. And one of those things is a refusal to cooperate with officers in the union. And uh, so that's what we're all about at the Tenth Amendment Center. We're about figuring out ways to refuse to cooperate with the uh, officers of the union. And again, that sounds radical, but what's radical is a federal government that does whatever it wants, whenever it wants, however it wants, with no restrictions. That's radical. What I'm talking about is is the uh, the conservative, uh, the intended structure of the federal government. The states were always intended to serve as a check on federal power. This is awesome, Michael. I'm learning so much just listening to you talk. We've got to run to commercial, but um, before we do, will you please, because we're going to hold you over, right? You're going to stick around with us? Absolutely. Awesome. Will you please tell people how they can, because uh, they're probably already trying to look up your, your website and, and your work. So tell people how they can do that during the commercial break. All right, go to 10thamendmentcenter.com. It's all spelled out, so T-E-N-T-H, amendmentcenter.com. And you will see all kinds of different places you can explore there. We've got main page articles. We've got blog articles. We've got uh, model legislation. We've got bill tracking. You'll see all of that nice and neatly laid out on our on our website. So go there and check it out. Fantastic. And while you're doing that and listening to the commercial, don't forget to stick around with us because we do have more with Michael Meharry of the 10th Amendment Center right after this break. When you're working hard to beat debt, you've got to think of creative ways to get your income up. Here's an idea. Sell some stuff at auction. Start with locally owned and operated potofgoldestate.com. The owners, Dan and Cheryl Todd, have over 60 years of combined experience in selling antiques, collectibles, guns, coins, and jewelry. And over their many years in business, they've earned the trust of thousands of people just like you. Whether you're saving for a rainy day emergency fund or paying down debt, let potofgoldestate.com help you get the extra cash you need. Potofgoldestate.com will purchase your items outright, or you can consign them to their twice-a-month online auction. Pot of Gold's nationwide online auction is a great place to get top dollar for your collectibles. They specialize in everything from antiques, coins, high-end collectibles, to cars, boats, guns, and more. Get started today at potofgoldestate.com, or visit them off I-10 and Dysart Road in Historic Avondale for some live auction action. For more information, visit potofgoldestate.com. That's potofgoldestate.com. Hey ladies, Cheryl Todd here from azfirearms.com. Many of us ladies are taking the important step of becoming responsibly armed, but it can be an intimidating process. And with all the politics swirling, a first-time gun buyer, whether a guy or a lady, might feel uncertain about where to begin and who to trust. At azfirearms.com, we are a small, friendly, family-owned shop that specializes in first-time gun buyers. We are staffed with knowledgeable people who are ready to help answer all of your questions. My husband 
husband Dan and I pride ourselves on having a safe, no-pressure environment. Once you have decided on a purchase, azfirearms.com partners with professional firearms instructors who will train you to become a responsible, safe, prepared, and proficient gun owner. So ladies and gents, when you are looking for personalized service and a huge selection, come to azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road or visit us on the web at azfirearms.com. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, educate, and inform. Sponsored by AZ Firearms, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. Our theme today is Your Vote Matters. And we have, we have been talking to Michael Meharry. Uh, he's from the 10th Amendment Center. And Michael, I, I, we were talking about you know how, how much the people are forgetting about the Constitution and everything. And it makes me think of Australia, where they didn't have anything to base their decision to get rid of guns and they took all the guns away from the people and they really didn't have that piece of paper or something to stand that for parchment barrier right right absolutely and that's why those those fundamental principles what what the constitution is really doing uh, especially with the with the bill of rights and that's really what we're talking about here in in particular is that it it outlines certain things that the government can't touch. And those principles are important. And I don't mean to, to uh, you know, I, I don't want to give the impression that they're not important, but it's the principle that ultimately is important. By, by articulating those, we put it in print, and that's important. But again, unless we have some enforcement mechanism, unless we're taking action uh, in, in all the multiple ways that, that we can take action as uh, members of the society, then they're just words. So words have to have actions, and that's what I'm saying. The words are important, and, and obviously we we put a, a high priority on those words. You know, you, you've heard in, in the first segment our uh, our mantra: follow the Constitution, every issue, every time, no exceptions, no excuses. So we hold it in high esteem. But we also believe that where we have failed a, as Americans is we've failed to maintain that system, and we've failed to use the checks and balances that were given to us. Well, earlier when you were saying that, you know, so if I told you to shut up, then really you don't have to because there's, I got nothing to back that up. I've got no teeth, right, to back that up. So it's basically exactly. a suggestion. So <laughs> right. we're, we're treating it like it's a suggestion. Right. And, and, you know, unfortunately, the nature of government power is such that it's going to expand if left unchecked it will expand. It's like gravity. You know, it's, it's as certain as that. If I jump off the top of a high mountain, I'm going to fall and bash my head on the rocks. And if you leave government alone, it is going to expand. So, you know, we, we learn in civics when we're, uh, when we're in junior high or elementary or whenever we take our civics it's about, the, about the checks and balances in the federal government, you know, the judiciary and the, and the executive. They never teach us about the vertical checks. They never teach us that the states were intended to serve as a check on federal power, and that's something that I think people need to recognize because the states are very powerful. And I think it's important just to give a quick example of, of how this actually works, and I'll, and I'll do it real quickly. Uh, how, how do you nullify uh, an unconstitutional federal gun law? You know, how do you stop the federal government? Let's, let's, take the extreme, uh, let's take the most extreme case and pretend like uh, President Obama signs an executive order tomorrow, and they're going to confiscate all of the assault weapons. And First off, they have to define what in the world assault weapon is because that's a made-up thing. But Thank you. <laughs> but let's just pretend like they decide they're going to confiscate certain weapons. So how are they going to do that? Well, 
they're not going to do it unless they have the cooperation of state and local law enforcement. That's the bottom line. There's not enough ATF agents in the world to confiscate all of the quote-unquote assault weapons, probably even in one city. It's just like the war on drugs, and we've seen this with, with, the, uh, with the legalization of marijuana in places like Colorado. It would cost the DEA almost their entire budget just to shut down the medical marijuana dispensaries in Denver, one city in one state. They don't have the resources. Well, they don't have the resources to enforce their gun laws either. So if the states simply say, you know what, we're not going to cooperate with enforcement of your federal gun laws. We're not going to let our sheriffs do it. We're not going to let our state police do it. We're not going to let our local police do it. If you want to enforce it, try to do it yourself. They cannot do it. They do not have the resources. And if enough states do this, it will effectively nullify the federal ban because they can't do it on their own. And uh, so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get states to, to pass these laws of non-cooperation. And Idaho has actually done it. They've, they've got a law in the books that – and. If, uh, if the federal government passes any future gu- federal gun control, they're not going to enforce it. Simple as that. Michael, the problem is the government's getting so big, and when a state says we're not going to follow that law, then they just cut all funding. And so, <laughs> so the bigger the government gets, the harder it's going to be for the states to, to fight these things. Right. Well, there's, there's a couple of fallacies that, that are inherent there. First off, the federal government cannot cut all funding. And and this is an interesting thing. And in, in what we're talking about when we talk about nullification, people tend to think, oh, this is some kind of radical, crazy thing. But it's actually Supreme Court approved. Okay, There's a, a legal doctrine known as the anti-commandeering doctrine, and it was first articulated in 1842 uh, in a case called Prig versus Pennsylvania. And in a nutshell, the anti-commandeering doctrine holds that the federal government cannot force or compel a state to use its resources or its personnel to enforce any federal act or to implement any federal program. And actually, the cornerstone case of this was a gun case. It was the Prince case that a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with when uh, the Brady gun bill came along and and Sheriff Prince and Sheriff Mack sued the federal government and said, our sheriff's department aren't going to help you with your gun registry. And the Supreme Court held that indeed the federal government cannot force the states to assist. It's also been established that the only funding – that the federal government can cut in a situation like this is funding that's directly associated with the thing the state is not doing. And this was actually in the Obamacare ruling when when they ruled that the federal government could not force states to expand Medicaid. Now, they could cut Medicaid funding that was meant to expand Medicaid, but they can't just go around and cut all of the federal funding. So the, the funding the funding lever is not nearly as strong as uh, people think. The second case the point to make is that Cutting funding is extremely politically dangerous for the federal government, and if you go back to the 1980s when uh, all of the states were actually refusing to comply with the uh, 55-mile-an-hour speed limit, it was in the law that if 50% of the vehicles on a given road in a given state were driving above, av- on average above that 55-mile-an-hour speed limit, the federal government was supposed to cut federal highway funding. That was the, that was the strings and the, the stick that was used to enforce that 55-mile-an-hour speed limit. By the 1980s, virtually no state was in compliance. You know how much federal funding was cut from highways? I'm guessing Zero. none. <laughs> well, that's, none. that's what I remember, and I was going to bring up to you. I, I thought when I was younger that, that when they said 55 was the limit, and if you didn't do that, that funding was going to go away from the state. I thought that actually happened, but eventually enough states said no that it they took it away. But really, 
They never hmm. cut. They never cut one dollar of federal highway funding. Well, that's interesting for a lot of the issues that are going on right now. But um, sticking with the the Second Amendment, I, you know, there's this this emotional push out there. You know, you talked about it, the common sense thing, and they want to appeal to everybody's emotions that we really just need this universal background check, and if that is implemented at a state level then I don't know what recourse we have. But if they tried to implement it at a federal level, you're saying that the states could individually ignore it? Exactly. They could They could refuse to participate in it. So, you know, again, the, uh, the federal government depends on these state agencies. They would depend on, you know, your local sheriff or your local police or whatever to, to enforce this. Don't do it. And the whole system collapses on itself. If, if you... Don't help. It's not going to happen. And we've seen this again. The the you know I don't know what you may may or may not think about the uh, about the legalization of marijuana at the state level, but this is the model. The states have simply said, you know what, federal government, we don't care about your federal prohibition. We don't care about your Supreme Court ruling. We're going to legalize marijuana in this state. We're not going to cooperate with your enforcement of it. And what we've seen is a, is a massive expansion, and, and the federal government has absolutely no power to do anything about it other than to bluster and, and, uh, and do a couple of raids every now and then. So if the states can simply – have the courage mm-hmm. to say no. Mm-hmm. Have that courage to say no. And and you know where the states get the courage? They get the courage from the people. They get the courage from the people calling their state representatives and saying, hey, we want this. We don't want the state to cooperate with these gun laws. And that's why we focus at the state level. Everybody wants to focus on Washington, D.C. And I don't know about you guys, but I've a long time ago, I called my congressman, and I talked to an intern, and the intern was very condescending. And about three weeks later, I got a form email back thanking me for calling on an issue that wasn't what I called about. <laughs> when when oh, you call your state representative, ouch. you're going to have a completely different experience. I almost guarantee you, you will talk to that person, yeah. and they will listen to you. Yeah. I talked to a representative uh, here in the state of Kentucky where I live. Uh, it's been a couple of years ago. But he said he's gone through entire legislative sessions where he's not gotten a single call from a constituent on a bill. Now imagine for a second somebody that's used to that, just doing whatever without any any spotlight. All of a sudden they get 50, 60, 100 phone calls on one issue. They are going to listen. I've seen bills get bounced out of committees that were stuck simply by a group of passionate activists making the phone calls and sending the emails. We have much more power to affect change at the state level than we do at the federal level. So we start at the bottom and we work our way up. And I guarantee you, going back to the to the marijuana, it's always fun to talk about guns and marijuana. It blows, <laughs> blows people's minds. But you go back to marijuana, I guarantee you that – I don't guarantee you. I don't guarantee anything. But I would be willing to bet in the next five years or so, you're going to see a change at the federal level in the prohibition of marijuana. Mm-hmm. That happened because the states took action first. Well, Michael, so, I, I was going to talk to you about you know how do we start with the people, and you brought that up. But when you said marijuana, that uh, sparked up a new issue for me. Because the federal government still has their little claws in that issue. Because in Arizona, in Arizona, you can have legal marijuana card to go get marijuana for medical, your medical. Marijuana, medical, yeah. right? Right. Well, if you want to buy a gun, you cannot buy a gun in Arizona. Federal law says if you use marijuana, you have to put a yes on the form. And if you put a yes on the form, you're denied a sale of a gun. So the federal still has a little their little claws in there. 
So who is enforcing that on the gun dealers? The, the BATF. If I, if I sell a gun with a yes on that form, I lose my license. Well, then, you know, I think that you're going to have to start working at the at the state and local level and then work up to the federal level to have that change. I mean, you can we could sit here all day and you can say, well, the federal government will do this and the federal government will do that. And we're not going to we can't do anything. Well, I find that to be kind of a fatalistic, uh, Mm -hmm. fatalistic approach to take. Of course, the federal government's going to push back. They don't want to lose power. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is we have a tool here at the state and local level where we can begin to push back and begin to reclaim the the rights and and, uh, the power that we actually have. And yes, there's, it's going to be some pain. Some people are going to, you know, right. when California first legalized marijuana, there were raids, the federal government up, you know, the federal government's upped marijuana enforcement every year, all the way through the Obama administration. People think Obama's soft on drugs. He actually upped marijuana enforcement in the early part of his administration until they realized it was, it was pointless. So we have to, we have to stand up and fight and we have to stand up and fight at a level that, that is going to actually uh, produce some results. And Quite frankly, I don't have much faith in in the ability to to change Congress or or to get the Supreme Court to rule this or that way. But I do have a great deal of faith in the ability to change the attitude of my state legislature. So that's why we focus on that. All right. Well, we have to wrap up. But very quickly, please tell people again how they can find you. All right. I'm going to give you two two web websites. First off, the 10th Amendment Center, which is 10thamendmentcenter.com, and you spell out 10th, and you'll find all of the information about the work uh, we're doing, uh, not only on the Second Amendment issue, but on a lot of other issues of federal overreach. But you can go to the issues section and actually click and see specifically uh, what we're doing uh, as far as the Second Amendment. You can also go to my own personal website and, and find my own musings at michaelmeharry.com. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y.com. And uh, I blog there and, and sell my books there and, and do other cool stuff. And I'm going to give you another, uh, another website. It's called shallnot.org, S-H-A-L-L-N-O-T.org. And that's another, uh, another website where you'll find a lot of information about uh, state efforts to push back against federal Fantastic. Thank you. We've just scratched the surface. We have got to have you back on again. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, stick around because in studio we have Sal Bruckley with the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation to talk to us about why hunting is conservation. Stick around. Hey everybody, this is Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan, world champion gunslinger and Hollywood gun coach. In the Westerns, there's always a good guy and a bad guy and sometimes the ugly guy. And I always root for the good guy, which is why I'm here to tell you about the good folks over at azfirearms.com. They are straight shooters and always give you the best deal in town. azfirearms.com is the biggest little gun shop in Arizona and have something for every single gun enthusiast. Long guns, pistols, hunting, military, law enforcement, home protection, you name it. And when you've got some guns to sell or trade in and trade up, azfirearms.com are the folks to see. Geez, they bought a cannon once. They are family owned and operated, friendly staff, courteous, totally reliable. azfirearms.com will give you the best value for your used guns. So stop in, see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd at azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road and tell them Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan sent you. Don Collier here, letting you know that you won't get fool's gold at Potty Gold Auction. They're the genuine article. 
Party Gold auctions off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Stop in and see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd in Avondale, Arizona for some live auction action. Or check them out on the web at PartyGoldEstate.com. The Second Amendment Foundation is the organization that protects our right to keep and bear arms. They defend our rights in courts from coast to coast. Now they need our help. Go to saf.org and join the Second Amendment Foundation today. Dedicated to promoting a better understanding of our constitutional heritage to privately own and possess firearms. Support those who support our Second Amendment rights today. That's saf.org. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. And today we are talking about your vote matters. And our next guest, you might go, well, what does he have to do with voting and, and, you know, voting matters? Because in studio, we have someone with the Rocky Mountain elk foundation and you know people get very passionate about hunting you know they think it's it's like murder but hunting is conservation and that is what the rocky mountain elk foundation is all about and i'm going to introduce you now and i'm going to say his name right it's sal broccoli 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 dad gummit that's right <laughs> I'm glad you're here to say it right all right sal tell us why hunting is conservation well Hunters are primarily responsible for looking after wildlife. Um, We're the ones that go out in the field ourselves, typically, and spend the most time out there. We generally enjoy it both by camping, hunting, fishing, anything outdoor-related. It's it's usually hunters that are out there doing it. And we spend the most money both uh, for our, our leisure time out there. A lot of us vacation in the outdoors, not necessarily on, you know, some sort of tropical destination, and uh, that money gets used right you know, here locally, especially in Arizona, uh, to fund wildlife projects and habitat cleanups. And, uh, you know, we give back to it. Absolutely. And, and people do vote on these, on measures that affect hunting and affect conservation, absolutely. right? Yep, absolutely. And uh, actually, I wrote a fact down here. In 1937, hunters approved a self-imposed tax on their firearms, ammunition, bow and arrows. Basically, what that does is it created about $10.1 billion of the revenues used to fund the wildlife agencies, for example, the Game and Fish Department. Mm -hmm. So conservation is you only take what you need, and the Game and Fish Department has put in place a uh, what we call a bonus tag program. So I unfortunately don't get to go elk hunting every year. Mm -hmm. We all wish we could, (laughs) but, uh, you know, I only get to take what I need, and I get drawn occasionally to go, and uh, it's you know, every year we get bummed when we don't get drawn, but it's a, a blessing when we get to go and go spend time with friends and family, and we really enjoy it then. You know, and you just touched on something that I, I think gets lost in, in the shuffle of people with their, their competing opinions about whether hunting is a good thing or a bad thing. And it, it is time with friends. It's time with your children. It's time with your family, right? Absolutely. The, some of the best memories I have with my family are doing exactly that. Um, get to spend time with my my father, my mother camping, my brother, my father hunting, fishing, things along those lines. And their, their memories will never create any other setting. It's so true. And we uh, also have talked about on the program a few times that, you know, when you when you teach children gun safety, 
I think one of the important components is actually, you know, taking a child out on the range so they can get a sense of the power of the, the tool they're using. And then when you take it a step further and you take them hunting and they see the results of pulling that trigger or pulling that bow and releasing that arrow, uh, that makes it very, very real in their mind that this is not a toy. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I, I grew up in that exact same household. We obviously had firearms in our home. And uh, I mean, I knew better. I, I was taught at a young age what could happen and how dangerous it could be if they were mishandled. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people have similar memories, if you will. But I remember going to friends and, and neighbors' homes and other kids would go in there and show us their, their mm. parents' firearms. And I remember Not how cool. scary of a thought that was that, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, this is, this is for real. Other people don't realize how dangerous this is. Yeah, not cool. So we were talking about how, you know, hunting is conservation because a lot of the conservation dollars come from hunting. Well, you, your organization, um, you do something else to help fund uh, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. It's this amazing and fun banquet you have coming up next weekend, right? Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. So it's uh, Saturday the 11th at the JW Marriott at Desert Ridge. Uh, it begins at 4.30 in the afternoon, and it's, it's a blast. It, it's fun for us as volunteers. It's fun for everybody that comes down and, and sees us at the banquet. We have tons of stuff to win and tons of auction items up that are available and hunting trips, fishing trips, uh, outdoors type things. It's, it's an absolute great time. And so, you know, when, when you come out, you're mostly, you know, a lot of people, they just come out to have fun and participate in the raffles and all that sort of stuff. But others come out because they specifically want to support what the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is doing. And what specifically does that money go for? So the, the biggest thing that I get to actually vote on is where we do habitat cleanups and, and project like uh, wildlife enhancements. So we'll, we'll go through and clean up uh, and spend money and donate money, the money that we've earned through the, the banquets and so on. And we'll go out and take out, say, junipers in a field or encroaching on a field, which, uh, you know, allows animals to no longer be able to eat the same amount they used to or clean out or fix up water projects and water tanks and things like that. Um, buy land and make sure that some, for example, elk and other wildlife have a place to uh, come and, and have their babies, if you will. So they're able to come out and, and use that land and it doesn't get encroached upon by us buying homes and land ourselves. Well, very good. I think that's very important because, you know, we we do encroach, you know. I mean, we had somebody in here a couple of weeks ago from uh, Luke Air Force Base. Now, it's been here forever, and houses have encroached on Luke Air Force Base, and they want Luke to get to go away. I know that's happening to our hunting lands all the time. Absolutely. We're, we're fairly privileged in, in Arizona, and, and what I like about RMEF is we're, uh, you know, national group, so we're looking at other states as well, and I've hunted in other states and it's a challenge to find a piece of land to even hunt on that's not privately owned. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure like most people, I don't have $1,000 to pay a landowner to go use his land for the day to, to hunt something. It's just, and that kind of takes away from the whole aspect of hunting, in my opinion, anyways. I, I like the fact that we have states like Arizona where there's public land, and it's there for everybody to use. And this helps protect that for us. So it's, it's, it's nice to have somebody, I guess, in our corner fighting to make sure we have land to use that's ours. Absolutely. And... So I want to ask you about, you know, what does the future of hunting look like? And I, I want to preface this question with two things. One is we spoke with somebody uh, just recently from the, the Fish and Game Department here in Arizona who was saying that there's some studies out there telling us that we're about 15 years away from the bulk of our hunters and our outdoors people and our fisher, 
Fisher people aging out. And so when I look at you, you're a young guy. So I'm excited. Sure. I'm encouraged that that maybe, you know, we are uh, getting the younger generations involved. Um, yeah, I, I would agree that it's, there's always a chance of anything like that going away, but we're, we're fighting for our, our hunting privileges, if you will, at all times and fishing privileges and things along those lines. But, you know, I'm, I'm a relatively young guy. I've got a young kid at home and I'm every day I can, I, I enjoy teaching her about anything I can outdoors and just taking her camping. It's awesome. You know, having a, a deer or something walk through our camp and, and her being able to enjoy that and seeing how excited she gets. It's a, it's a really cool experience and being able to share that as, as uh, you know, myself being a, a child and, and doing that with my father and now being able to be the dad in the situation and, and show my kids how cool the outdoors are. It's a pretty neat experience and I'm glad to kind of pass it on. Well, absolutely. And I'm just even a little bit more encouraged that you said she, that it's oh, yeah. a female child and yet she doesn't get left home. While dad goes out hunting. No, not at all. Uh, you don't get me wrong. There's, there's dances and stuff like that too. You know, she, she still has to be a girl, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's for me, balance. Oh, it's, it's, it's great, you know, but I really enjoy getting outdoors and spending that time with my family and my daughter's obviously part of my family. So, um, whether or not my wife happens to go with on that particular trip, no big deal. As long as I get to spend time with my daughter as well. And, and, uh, it's a great time having her out there and seeing her light up and see, the wildlife and, and to catch a fish and everything else. Just an amazing experience. That's awesome. So what would you say the future of hunting does look like? Is it bright? I, I feel like it is. I mean, I, you'll see again at the banquet, there's a lot of folks in our committee that are, we're in our thirties or forties or twenties. And most of us have, you know, young kids all the way up to teenage kids and, and they're all outdoors people as well. So the group of people that I see and speak to, it seems like we're all pretty good shape, but we still have to fight for those, those rights and those laws. And there's just like uh, gun rights are constantly under attack. There's always anti-hunting groups that are, you know, lobbying against us and trying to, you know, get us to lose those privileges. And, and it's unfortunate, but we need to stand up for ourselves as well. It's something that we enjoy. And I feel like it was our God given right. I love that. And I think you're a good spokesperson for that. And you are, you put your money where your mouth is. You are passing the baton down to the next generation and, and teaching her because hunting is not something you can just like on a whim, just take up. I mean, I wouldn't have the, I've never been hunting. I would have the first idea where to go. You know, is, am I on private land? Am I hunting the right bird in the right season? There's a lot to it. There is, but you know what? The cool part about hunting, it's, it's very family-like, um, you know, that would be something where you ever wanted to go. Somebody like myself would be glad to take you out and say, let's, I'll teach you the ropes. See how awesome you that know? is. There's a, a community. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I have, I, I do that on a regular basis. I have a lot of friends I've introduced to archery and it's, it's a blast to go out and, and show them and get them excited to go do that. So fantastic. Well, tell people before we have to wrap up here, how do they learn more about the RMEF and then tell us again about the banquet because we want to pack that room. Sure. It's June 11th uh, at the JW Marriott Desert Ridge Resort. Starts at 4.30 in the afternoon. You can buy tickets by going to rmef.org forward slash Arizona. And you can check out the same website, rmef.org, and see everything about what Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation does and you know, what our mission is and how we do things to help out youth groups and wildlife and, of course, be the stewards of the land and conservation. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for driving in here and, and spending time with us and teaching us a little bit more about why hunting is conservation. And definitely everybody check out that banquet next week. We're going. We're going to just have a blast. 
Absolutely. I'm glad to have you guys there. All right. Well, stick around because we still have our Responsibly Armed Citizen Report and Dan's Tip of the Week coming up right after this commercial break. Be a part of the gold rush and head on down to see my friends at Pot of Gold Auctions in Avondale, Arizona. Or check out the auction online at potofgoldestate.com. These folks auction off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Everything is going, going, gone. So you best hurry and tell them Don Cogger sent you. And we're back with Cheryl Todd talking about the huge gun buying event at azfirearms.com. Oh, AZ, I get it, as in Arizona. Yes, but... Oh, or AZ, as in everything from A to Z. Well, yes, that too. But what I'm telling everybody about is that azfirearms.com is having a huge gun buying event to buy your old firearms all across Arizona and everything from A to Z. That's great news. See, my grandpa left me an old shotgun and it's just sitting on a closet shelf at home. So I can bring that into azfirearms.com and sell my gun? Absolutely. azfirearms.com buys, sells, trades, and even consigns your old firearms. Any vintage, any style, military, long guns, handguns, hunting, or home protection. Single items or entire collections. We offer the highest value for your used firearms in a safe and friendly environment, staffed by knowledgeable people. azfirearms.com is Knolltown Avondale off I-10 and Dysart Road. Come on down to the huge gun buying event every day through the end of the month at the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And for all your firearm and ammo needs, visit azfirearms.com. Come listen to the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Hear about armed civilians protecting people they love. Were they lucky or were they prepared? Come listen and learn at selfdefensegunstories.com. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. And my goodness, what an awesome show today. You know, the technical difficulties aside, those are going to happen, right? But what what incredible guests we had. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, the theme is your vote matters. So there's matters that you need to vote on. You need to understand that your vote counts. So, you know, my little play on words there that your vote matters. But we talked also with um, the 10th Amendment Center. Okay, Michael Meharry from the 10th Amendment Center, and he talked about nullification. And that is a power that the people just seem to have lost the idea that it even exists. Well, I guess the federal government probably doesn't want you to know about that one. Well, I'm sure they don't. And, and we, so therefore we've lost our power. We've lost our voice and no wonder we feel so frustrated and, and you know, like what doesn't matter, you know, my vote doesn't matter, but it does. And the more that we allow that feeling to, to wash over us and that thought to sink in, um, the more we're, we're giving up. On, on what America was founded to be. Don't you think, Dan? I, I think, I, I do think that. And, you know, Cheryl, the, the, the whole problem is that, you know, back in the 50s, people worked, they worked hard, and then they started giving things away. And, you know, the, think about it. Would Bernie Sanders even be allowed to live in the United States with his thoughts in the 1950s? <laughs> well, if he was communist instead of socialist, then no. Right. But, but I mean, yeah. so his ideas, his, his, 
So, you know, you gradually give things away for free and people don't have to work for it and they get no interest payments and all this other stuff. And now we got to fight with this. Well, I think it really comes down to, to this. Do you want freedom or not? Do you want to say or, or not? Right? So freedom isn't easy and, and it's messy. Okay. Freedom is messy. It is fraught with dangers, but I, I think that you have to think about it as, as the light switches on or the light switches off. You either have freedom or you don't. You don't have uh, some watered down version of freedom and still walk around and act like you are a free person. And I think that's kind of the, the world we've been living in, the, the America we've been living in. And I think that's where a lot of this anger is stemming from. And, you know, it's like when you grow up and you move out of your parents' house, you know, do you, do you keep one foot in the door? I didn't. I know you didn't. And so our thought process on these kinds of things is very different from someone who maybe is, you know, it's easy to go back home if they get in a rough time or maybe they, they are, you know, the kind of the thing they always say is, you know, stop playing your computer games in your parents' uh, basement. Um, I think there's a generation like that, and it is a completely different way of engaging the world around you. Well, I was flipping the internet, thumbing through, going through things, I guess cruising the internet, and saw a protester's sign that said, make America Mexico again. (laughs) And it just, you know, that's the mentality. It's just like, instead of make America great, instead of make America Go it's, near it's just, that. We, we've lost it, you know, and freedom, free. They, they forgot the whole word and just went to free instead of freedom. Mm. And, and we're going to lose our freedoms. We are losing it. I thought you were going to go the other way. I thought you were going to say dumb. I, we put I the was dumb trying in. to figure out how to do that. Free, <laughs> dumb, dumb, you know, but, um, and so there is a message there, but I don't know. I, I just think that it's changing and we have to fight hard and strong and for what's right. I agree. Well, it is now time for one of my favorite things. The Responsibly Armed Citizen Report. Waiting for that little sound to happen. Nope. Didn't go. All right. We were supposed to. There he is. battle for truth, justice, and the American way. All right. Fighting for truth, justice, and the American way. Well, we don't like to think about this. Okay. But sometimes danger is actually a trusted friend or a relative. Sometimes danger greets us with a smile and even tells us how much he loves us. And danger doesn't care if you're old or young. And I I often think that danger prefers the youngest among us because when you're a nine-year-old girl, you haven't yet learned all of danger's tricks. When you're a nine-year-old girl, you believe whatever story danger tells you as he smiles, as he says how much he loves you. Right before he locks you in a shed deep in the woods of Tennessee, where no one will ever find you. Well, thankfully, there are responsibly armed citizens out there who will look out for little girls who are in the icy grip of danger and sometimes Those responsibly armed citizens who face danger down deep in the woods, holding danger at bay until the authorities can come, 
are in the form of a local farmer and a Baptist pastor. Well, developing this evening, a sigh of relief as nine-year-old Carly Trent is found safe. Authorities say they found her a few hours ago, around 20 miles from where she was taken. With her, Gary Simpson, her uncle, who authorities say took her into custody. Now, Simpson is accused of checking Carly out of school last week and disappearing. Simpson charges they have been upgraded to especially aggravated kidnapping. TBI officials say two citizens found Simpson and Carly, and authorities say they called 911 and held Simpson at gunpoint until deputies were able to get to the scene. The family of Carly Train sends their heartfelt things to the actions that were taken today. Carly was taken to the hospital for an evaluation, and we are closely monitoring the situation, and we're working to bring you more updates on air and online. This is just a recent thing, isn't it, Cheryl? Yeah, uh, I don't have the date written down here, but it, I mean, it was like all the news, maybe a couple of months ago. Yeah, and it's, it, it's really good. I mean, the citizens all got together and said, let's start looking in rural areas, from what I remember, look in rural areas and sheds, barns, and structures, and, and they did. And a pastor and a farmer found her. And when the man that held her captive was a, came to the building, they held him at gunpoint. And what if they couldn't, wouldn't have been able to have a gun? Would they have been able to detain the criminal who probably would have had a gun? That was my thought. And the other thing is that it's it's worth mentioning for some reason that it's a pastor with a gun. Like as if those two things <gasps> don't, I know, right? Gasp. As if those two things don't uh, go together. And I, I don't understand that. I mean, we, we talk a lot about how, um, you know, that's not Christian. Well, what, I don't know what that means in, in a lot of senses. And when people want to defend themselves, defend their lives, defend the lives of others, You'll hear people say that, that, you know, well, if you're Christian, you're, you're a pacifist and, you know, God will just take care of things. And I'm thinking, well, God took care of things in the form of this pastor That's right. and He's saved a that Christian. little girl. That's double Christian as far as I'm concerned, because now this seven-year-old girl is going to live. Here's the thing. What would have happened if they wouldn't have found the girl? What would the man eventually have done? Would he have just let her go? Do you think he could have done that at the risk of going to jail? Do you think he would have just said, okay, I'm done keeping you in the shed for a couple of weeks. I'm going to let you go now? Well, no. and, and the thing is that it, it was her uncle, and so that's why I'm saying that sometimes danger comes in the form of a family member. But I think the uncle maybe went a little off the deep end, and they say he'd become obsessed with this little girl, and, and so she, she was now no longer safe. I don't know if she ever was, but we know for sure at the end there, she was no longer safe with him. And so thank God for some outside intervention. And I would like to rant about something I heard about a couple of days ago. And I don't have the whole story, but I do have enough to, to be informative. A, a, a lady was in her apartment in New York. And a man burst in her apartment and she had enough time to call her husband and say, because she knew he was close by and say, she's being attacked. The gentleman, the, the, the husband, walked into the house with the girl his wife being raped and the man was naked in the, in their house or apartment. So the, the husband hit him over the head a couple of times with the crowbar and killed him. Guess who was arrested? Well, I'm guessing not the dead, uh, bad guy. No, the husband was arrested and charged 
Now, so twisted, so upside in down. In his own home. It's upside down. The it's, world we're living in is upside down. But we have to get to Dan's tip of the week. Um, my tip of the week is to write it down. Just remember that. Write it down. Write it down. Write what down? Write this down. When, um, you know, you have a collection or you have some valuables or uh, things that you loved, let your loved ones know what you intend to do with them when you pass on. You know, to give you an example, we had, I went to a lady's house a couple days ago. She had 29 guns and I bought them from her. And I gave her a really good price for them, and everything was good. And she sent a letter to the Better Business Bureau that we did a good job with her. But she was, she was really scared. Well, you would be. She had no idea. if her, Was her Colt Single Action Army worth $5,000 or was it worth $800? Right. And so she sent an email out, and I responded to the email, and I went out and talked to her. And I'm so glad I did because I gave her a really fair price for her guns. But the tip of the day is for you to prepare. Don't put your wife in that position or your kids let them know the values. Let them know who to take them to. You know, if whether it's your friend or local gun shop, give them a plan so that they're not sitting there. Because, you know, you think they live with this for a long time. Did I make the right decision? Did he give me the good prices? Things like that. So please write it down. Plan your estate. And let your wife and loved ones know what you want to happen to your items. You know, and that's such an emotional time, too, because, I mean, I'm, I'm co-owner of the business and um, I, I have access to, you know, I know what you've paid for things. I know you don't know I know that, but <laughs> I know that. No, it's like, how come you paid so much for that? Well, you should have been there, Cheryl. But, but anyway, but at a time, if I were to lose you, you know, if you were to pass away, that's going to be a very emotional time for me. I'm not going to want to try to trust my own memory on things. And, and that's a time to, to reach out to someone else. And so I, I agree with that. Write it down. Let your loved ones know what you bought, how much you paid for it, and what you would expect to get it in a modern market, right? Because right. if it's 10 years later, maybe maybe the, the price would be different but also who you would trust. Right, and don't inflate those prices. Be reasonable with the prices so yeah. that the wife doesn't have to go through difficulties of right. Feeling 50 she's different getting ripped people. Off right, husband, so um, whatever. I, I felt really good that I, I know this lady was confident in our transaction, and I was blessed to be able to help her, and just keep that in mind. I love that tip of the week, and I, I hate that we're at the end of our show, but we need to wrap up, and I want to thank everyone uh, I think our tech crew, I know you had a rough go of it today because those phones were just not cooperating at the top of the first hour. Thank you to our listeners for always being there and, and sharing our message with others. And thank you to our guests for taking the time out of your lives. Um, Till next time, pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders. All of them? Yes, Dan, all of them. One of these days you're going to say, except that one. <laughs> Eve, especially that one, all the ones you don't like, right? And be good to each other. Have a great week and God bless. And we leave you with these thoughts from President Reagan. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. 
The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free.